Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode 172 of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. And I am glad that you have chosen to listen in. I pray that this will be a blessing to you as we go through the Word of God. My intent is to help you in understanding the Word of God and in sharing these things with you as the Lord gives them to me. And I pray that they bless you as well. And I pray that you are reading the Word yourself also. Today I will be back in Romans chapter 2 though. We are in the book of Romans and today we move into chapter 2 with just a brief review of chapter 1. And I'm going to read Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 and we're going to cover that portion today. So I'd like to begin with reading beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Romans. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. This is the portion that we're going to cover today, and we're going to look at this next section of human condition that Paul is going to address as he builds his argument that we will see in chapter 3, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's nobody righteous. Nobody. So in chapter 1, we saw where Paul was given the apostleship to do this, even though he considered himself just a pierced your slave. We saw how he wanted to encourage them and build them up, but he also needed to address the truth, and he writes this treatise on the truth. We saw how he lists in verse 16 and 17 the whole backdrop of the gospel of God because the gospel is the power of God to save any and all in any of these categories in these first three chapters, in any of these sinful conditions, if they will call out to the Lord, 
and ask for forgiveness, God will save them. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to bring salvation to any and everyone who will believe. And so then he goes on in verse 18 through 32 of chapter 1, and he describes the condition of those who just blatantly sinners. I mean, they just, they reject God. He lists a whole slew of identifying factors or characteristics about these people. These are the ones that reject God, suppress him, refuse to listen to his truth, refuse and reject him completely. They reject his him as the source of all wisdom and knowledge, and therefore they're left with nothing but the alternative, which is a debased mind, a reprobate mind, an unfit mind that cannot even think straight, cannot judge rightly. And then he goes on and he talks about all kinds of different sins and sinful behaviors and lifestyles. And he said, you know, some of these, they're storing up so much wrath because they're they're not even just doing these things themselves, but they're rejoicing and wanting other people to do them as well. So he's dealt with that particular category in chapter one. Now he deals in chapter two with the self-righteous or the religious crowd, the ones that think they're right, the ones that might go to church every single Sunday morning, pay their tithes and show up for every work day. The ones that might go to church every Sunday morning, show up for every work day, pay their tithes, you know, call the pastor every now and then and encourage him. I mean, they're doing great things, but their heart, in their heart, they're not obeying the Lord. They're not obeying the commandments of God. And rather, specifically in this particular section, not only are they self-righteous and just religious on the outside, but they're also judging other people. For instance, the category that he's just covered in chapter 1, these are the ones that would say, I'm so glad, Lord God, that I'm not like those sinners. I'm not like those perverted people. I'm not like those who are going around and doing all of this. I'm not like those who worship the trees and the sun instead of the living God. No, I've got religion. I'm going to church every week and I even dress up for church or whatever. I mean, I'm just throwing out possibilities of things that, that these people are thinking and or possibly saying and even praying. Jesus gave the example of one that would pray and the Pharisee, you know, re representing the religious folk, the religious crowd. And he would say, I'm so glad I'm not like this sinner. And the sinner, the repentant, humble sinner, is down there praying on his knees saying, God, forgive me. I realize I'm in this category. I realize I'm sinful. God, have mercy upon me. Which one do you think the Lord is listening to? And Jesus brings that out when he mentions that. So here in chapter 2, we're dealing with those who are religious, those who, who are self-righteous, and even doing things that they're judging other people about. And God's going to deal with that through Paul. And he, he makes it very clear here that that is just as evil and just as sinful as what we just read in chapter one. So we need to understand, you know, those that are religious folk, 
We don't get by. We've got to live the word. We've got to be doers of the word. That's what matters. So now he's going to deal in chapter two with those who judge others yet are doing the same things. And he said, you judge, but you're condemning yourself. Those who judge. I want to turn first, we're going to read a few different passages today. And the first one I want to read is in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read the first few verses. Matthew chapter 7, judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In this passage, Jesus is warning against judging other people for whatever reason. You see, judgment is not ours to give. We don't know the whole story. We don't understand the people. We don't know where they are along the journey. We cannot judge anyone. We judge fruit of lifestyles, perhaps. Jesus did say a tree is known by its fruit. But we do not judge people. We do not judge motives. We do not condemn anyone. And if we do, Jesus said right here that whatever measure we use is the same measure that would be used back to us. In other words, let's just say you were going to judge someone as if it were, you know, filling up something in, in measurement in a kitchen or something like that. You can't pour, you know, you can't judge other people with a quart worth of whatever and then expect the judgment coming back to you to only be a teaspoonful. You know, you're heaping all kinds of judgment and condemnation on someone else, but thinking then that, that it should be lighter for you, that, oh, well, you know, I... I won't be, it won't be as hard on me. God, don't let it be as hard on me. And Jesus is saying, no, it doesn't work that way. You know, the same thing that you dole out is what will come back to you. With your own words, you will be judged, he speaks of in another place. As a matter of fact, let's see an Old Testament example of that very thing. Back in the book of 2 Samuel, I want to begin reading in chapter 11, and I want to begin reading in verse 26, but let me give you the backstory first. This is where David is has sinned with Bathsheba and with Uriah. We forget sometimes that he had sinned with Uriah. He had had Uriah murdered, killed intentionally to cover up his sin with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. And so listen to the Lord's response to that and how things transpired because of David's sinful choices and then his 
lying about it. He's trying to cover it up. Verse 26 of 2 Samuel 11. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Continuing into chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his own house. So I want to stop right there. David had shed innocent blood. He had had Uriah killed. And God held him responsible for that. Even though Uriah died in battle at the hands of an enemy, it was David who sent him there to die. And God knew that. There's a serious warning here also in those passages because God had given Uriah and Bathsheba into David's keeping 
or under David's care. The reason is because Uriah was a part of David's military. He was a commander. He was high up and a ranking officer for King David. And so God considered Uriah and his entire household under David's care and under David's keeping. He, he had that charge against him, the Lord said, through Nathan. That was one of the things the Lord had against him. God had entrusted them to David's care. And yet, according to God, David despised God's holy commandment in this thing and had sinned greatly. The Bible said there that the thing that David did displeased the Lord. That's a very serious thing. That was the one thing that God had against David. Even later on, God gives a testimony of David. And he says that David was a man after his own heart and did all that he wanted except in the one matter of Uriah. That was the one thing that God was displeased with. It was also the reason that David couldn't build a temple because God told him, no, your hands are not clean. You've got innocent bloodshed on your hands. It wasn't because David was a warrior in fighting against God's enemies. It was because David had sinned and caused a man to be murdered and God held David accountable for that. David had shed innocent blood. But David repented. He said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And we know that he sincerely repented and God forgave him. I encourage you to read Psalm chapter 51. If you want to know what real repentance and a true sinner's prayer, so to speak, is, read Psalm 51. I did a message on that some time ago, and it's in the archives, I'm sure, called A Biblical Prayer of Repentance, and it's based on Psalm 51. Read that, because in there, David pours out his heart of repentance, and we see that he meant it, and God knew he meant it, and therefore God forgave him of the murder, of the adultery, and of all of those things. But still, there were consequences that David had to pay for his sin. David meted out his own judgment when he said to Nathan, after the story was told him about the one that had the one ewe lamb and the man had taken it, and David said this, he said he's got to restore fourfold. David used his own mouth. He didn't realize it at the time, but God said that with your own mouth, you'll judge yourself. It's with your own words that I'll condemn you, he says. David said the man's got to restore fourfold. And David meted out his own consequences. And if you read in the history books there, Samuel and Kings and so forth, you will see that David lost four sons of his. And it goes back to his consequences for his sin. God took it very seriously. And the sword or family struggles and conflicts were always in his descendants. 
for, for generations. And all of this because he had shed the innocent blood. Jesus affirms in Matthew 7 and in Luke 19 that a person can mete out their own judgment with their own words. And with the measure they mete it out is the measure that comes back to them. Let's look at Luke 19 real quick. This is the story of the parable of the minas. And I won't read all of that, but I do want to pick up the reading in Luke 19, verse 20. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, the master said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? So Jesus affirms that it's with the own with your own mouth you bring judgment on yourself. So those who are judging other people are headed for judgment back upon them. It's a very serious thing with God. He takes it very seriously, especially if it's hypocritical and you are doing the same things. He chides here in Romans chapter 2 because he, he chides about these people who are judging because God himself is the only just judge, the only one who can judge anyone rightly. He knows the truth. He sees all. He sees the hearts and the motives. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, it speaks about the word of God being what can even separate between the hearts and the, the intents of the mind and the heart, the thoughts can separate between soul and spirit. That verse alone tells us that there is a difference between the soul and the spirit, but it also indicates that it's a fine line and it's something that only the spirit of the living God and the word of God can separate between. So God is the only one who can judge because he's the only one that judges rightly. Let's see a few verses about that in the scripture. In John chapter 5, verse 30, it says this, I can of myself do nothing. Jesus is speaking here. And he says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Hebrews 12, 22. Let's read 22 and 23. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So God is the judge of all, God alone. In the book of Psalms and the prophets, there are several places that speak of God being the just judge. I am only choosing two simple verses here in Psalm chapter 96. 
I want to read verse 10 and verse 13. Psalm 96 verse 10 says this, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Verse 13, For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. And Paul confirms that here in the book of Romans, that the day of judgment is coming. We don't always like to think about that and we don't like to remember it, but a day of judgment is in fact coming. And God the righteous judge is going to be the one who decides all matters in that day. In 2 Timothy 4, 8, Paul also says this, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. So for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is a righteous judge that will reward us. For those who are not in Christ Jesus, there is a righteous judge who will judge them according to their deeds, not according to their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, because they didn't put their faith in him. They refused him. They resisted. Back in Romans chapter 2, when we look at verse 3 and 4, let me read that again. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? You see here, Paul is bringing out that because God hasn't judged you yet, because you, because God has still continued to bless you with life or health or material blessings or prosperity in your work or whatever it is, you think that you're getting by. You think that you're going to escape the judgment of God just because you haven't been judged yet. He says, do you not understand that through those good things that God is blessing you with, he's seeking to draw you to himself. He's seeking to draw you to repentance because of his goodness. Don't despise his goodness. Don't take it as if he's condoning your sin. He is being long-suffering. He is being forbearing. He's putting up with that in the effort to draw you, in an effort to work those things together so that they draw you to recognize his goodness to you, that he hasn't killed you yet. He hasn't struck you with a bolt of lightning. That those things that God is blessing you with should be causing you to turn to him. That's what they're designed for. For instance, as we begin to draw down to a close for today, let's look at this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48, it says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies 
Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. In other words, he is giving the example of the Father in heaven who is sending rain on those who love him and those who don't, who is being good to all because he loves them, because he's trying to draw them. So Paul is picking up on that here in Romans chapter 2, and he is trying to show us that God's goodness is to lead us to repentance. You have a choice if you are in this category, if you are in sin of any kind, especially here he's dealing with judging others, especially when you're hypocritical and you're doing the very same thing you're judging them about. For instance, if you're, you know, can't wait to gossip and call so-and-so and say, did you see what so-and-so did? You know, I can't believe she said that or whatever. And then you're doing the very same thing. You're, you're complaining because she's gossiping or she's doing such and such, and you're doing the very same thing. You're slandering her. You're gossiping about her, etc. So when we're doing that, God is not happy with that. He's trying to tell us here, just because I don't strike you with a bolt of lightning right away does not mean I'm condoning your sin. It means that I'm trying to use these blessings and these goodness that I'm es establishing and bestowing upon you to draw you to repentance. So you have a choice. You either keep filling up your bowl or your cup with your sin, which is going to warrant righteous judgment on that day. In other words, it's kind of like giving the prosecutor in a case a lot more damning evidence against you. You're the defendant, but you keep giving the prosecutor evidence that he can then use against you. You're, you're doing the, the very thing that you're being accused of, thinking that you would just get by somehow. And it's not going to work that way. It will not work that way. Without repentance, God's wrath will come one day. He may be using good things to try to draw you to him right now. But if you mistake those and think that he's condoning sin, you are sadly mistaken. He is not. Without repentance, God's wrath will come one day. There will come a day when he will no longer be pleading with you. We just talked about that in earlier episodes where he was pleading with those in the days of Noah and he gave them 120 years and he said, I'll, uh, my spirit's not going to strive with man forever. I'll plead with them and plead with them and preach to them for 120 years. But there'll come a day when that ark is going to be built. Everybody that will come into it is going to be in it. 
The animals will be there and I'm going to shut the door and it's over then. That's too late. So, beloved friend, we need to understand that God's wrath is like that. There will come a day. There will come a day whether you will meet the Lord in judgment at your death or at the final resurrection when you will stand before the great white throne judgment. There's coming a day where God's wrath will be in righteous judgment against you when you have continued in sin without repenting and when you have been judging others. When time's up, if you have repented and believed on Jesus, received the gospel of God that Paul talked about in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, and you have allowed him to make you brand new and impute to you the righteousness of God, you've been saved, you've got brand new life, you're born again and your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. If you have repented and believed on him, praise be to God, you are delivered from that wrath. And you will be able then to stand in God's presence because of what Jesus did for you, not because of your own righteousness. But if you've not repented when time's up, righteous judgment is coming against you. And it will come in the form that you have meted out. God is righteous and he will do it without partiality. He even mentions that here in Romans to the Jew first and also to the Greek. No partiality. It's to the Jew first, just like the gospel goes to the Jew first. Why? Because they received more. To whom much is given, much is required. So they received the word of the living God all the way through. We didn't have that. The Gentiles didn't have that way back. God preserved the Hebrew scriptures, the word of God, what we call the Old Testament. God preserved it through the Jewish people. God brought the Messiah through the Jewish people and to the Jew first. So there's more that's required from them. But God is, he has no partiality. God has no partiality. And all will be judged according to his righteous judgment. I want to close with this final passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to read verses 1 through 5. It says this, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Beloved friend, we cannot be judging other people. We must entrust all judgment to Jesus Christ, the righteous judge. And when he comes, he will judge rightly in all matters. 
our response, each individual person, must come to Jesus, repent of our sins, and refuse to judge other people. Let us remove our own planks. Let us concentrate on that. Live right ourselves. Let us work on ourselves. Let us examine ourselves. Let us judge ourselves and examine ourselves before the holy light of the Lord. And let us live rightly ourselves. God, the righteous judge, will take care of everything else in his time. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name.